Thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stTimothy'sStores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. As we get ready to engage with God's Word to us corporately, we want to just take some time and allow God's Word to speak to us uniquely and specifically. Um, So we're just going to read through the scripture, and I invite you to just listen to God's Word and see what word, what phrase, what emotion stands out. And then we'll spend some time sharing about what God is saying to each of us. But if you're like me, it's been a long week, you're a little tired, you're a little stressed, so we just want to take a moment and just let go of the stress of the week. Um, So I invite you to just close your eyes, let out a long breath, and just picture God lifting the stress off your shoulders, um, taking the stress away. So Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. And maybe Vince, could you take Charlotte? <laughs> Thank you. She's having a rough night. Amen. It's <laughs> a so First Timothy five verses one through two. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Absolutely. I think this is a really interesting picture of a family, um, of church's family. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to explore what is Paul talking about when he talks about church's family. How does that look? What does that mean for us? How do we live that out? Um, because in Paul's letter so far, we've seen he's doing a lot of correcting. He's doing a lot of correcting of abuses in the church. So he's written to correct men who are lying hypocrites. He's written to correct women who are false teachers. Uh, he's written to correct a community that doesn't want Leadership. They don't want Timothy. They don't want to be led or directed. And at this point, it almost feels like, why would you want to be part of a church? Why would you want to be a part of the church in Ephesus? They have bad teaching. They don't want to follow leadership. They just seem like a kind of a place full of conflict and strife. Um, So it feels like a place full of abuse of authority, misinformation, and confusion. But it's also much more than that. And church is intended to be much more than that. It's not just a place of tension and infighting and conflict. So in these very two short verses, so they're they're pretty short, but they're pretty powerful, because he offers a metaphor for church community that's full of mutual respect and encouragement. A church, a family that is made up of diverse people of different stages and ages and genders. A family of people who are in it together. Whatever the conflict, whatever the circumstances, whatever the cost. And if you've read through your Bible, you've seen there's lots of metaphors for church. Um, Paul writes about church in a lot of ways. The different gospel writers describe church in a lot of different ways. Um, because there's, no, there's not one specific thing that this is what church has to be. This is what church must be. Um, but it, we do know that church is not a brick-and-mortar building. Sometimes we say, we're going to church, and we mean like we're going to the church building. But really, church is a community of people. 
the Greek word ekklesia is just an assembly of worshipers, an assembly of people. So it becomes grammatically awkward to say I'm going, I'm going to be church, but actually that would be more correct. That would be more conceptually correct. And once you get, we can probably all have experiences, once you get more than one person worshiping a space, you have more than one opinion and more than one idea of what it, what it should be and how it should be and who should do what and what God wants them to do. Um, and the Bible never says, this is what you must do, this is what you must be, this is what the church has to do. Um, so that's why he gives us metaphors, metaphors to help us understand how the church can function and all of the different attributes and qualities that the church should strive for. And even just Paul himself has several metaphors. So in Ephesians 5, he describes the church as a bride of Christ. And this kind of bride of Christ imagery really captures the deep love of Jesus for the church. How deeply Jesus loves the church and the intimacy of the relationship between Jesus and his people are like a bride and a groom. Um, this deep, wholehearted love. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes the church as the physical body of Christ. Which helps us to understand how each believer has a role to play. The body of Christ imagery really helps us to understand at the church as a, 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 um, a force of ministry, where each person is an eye or a hand or an ear. Each person has a, a different but equally important role. So we've got bride of Christ, we've got body of Christ. We have in First Corinthians six temple of the Holy Spirit which is really a picture of the sacredness of church, that it is the place where God dwells, where God dwells among us. Like the ancient Jewish temple, it is a sacred and a holy space. So we have bride of Christ, body of, God, body of Christ, temple of the Holy Spirit, and here in First Timothy, Timothy, he describes the church as a family, made up of men and women of all ages who treat each other with mutual respect in relationships rooted in encouragement. So unlike the body metaphor, which is talking about how we serve, and the bride metaphor, which highlights our relationship with Jesus, kind of our vertical relationship, the family metaphor emphasizes our relationship with each other. So this verse, as we've already been talking about, really talks about how do we relate to each other? How do we be a family? Um, And it gets a little bit lost in the English translation, but in the Greek, the real main verb of this whole passage is the word encourage. This is the main idea of the whole sentence. So Paul is really saying, encourage older men as you would encourage a father. Encourage younger men as you would encourage brothers. Encourage older women as you would encourage your own mother. And encourage younger women as you would encourage a sister. And a lot of you, the word rebuke stood out. Kind of those first words, do not rebuke. And we see encourage really set in opposition to rebuke. Which gives us a better idea of what exactly does Paul mean by encourage. Because it's not necessarily, hey, you're doing great, you're awesome, you're the best. It's not that kind of encouragement. But it's more of a gentle and loving correction. So if rebuke is a harsh correction, encouragement is a gentle and a loving correction, particularly in our areas of weakness. So don't get caught up in petty arguments because you could do more. You could be better. Instead of stop doing what you're doing, you're messing up, you're screwing up. That would be a rebuke. So Paul is wanting us to encourage people to be faithful, obedient, loving followers of Christ. And so why does Paul use the church metaphor um, to describe the church, particularly in Ephesus, which is not, it's not a family at this point. It's like a warring faction of different sides and false teaching. What is really unique about the idea of family that Paul's trying to emphasize? 
And what's unique about family is commitment. You don't get to opt out of your family. You don't just get to decide, you guys aren't doing it for me anymore. I'm going to belong to a different family. Families are committed to loving, supporting, helping, and encouraging each other. And this is in an ideal world. I know that sometimes it doesn't actually play out that way. But ideally, the bonds of family can overcome preferences. They can overcome politics. They can overcome personalities. They can overcome different life stages, different beliefs. Um, they can overcome difference. It's like a glue that holds us together. So if Charlotte grows up one day, and I hope this doesn't happen, um, but she decides to move to a commune in the woods and worship the sun goddess and make friendship bracelets all day long, I'm not going to stop loving her. I'm not going to stop inviting her to Thanksgiving. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time praying for her. (laughs) But I would never abandon her, and I would wear her friendship bracelets with pride. And, that, and we know that our probably own experience can say that's not always the reality of family. Sometimes families split. Sometimes families fight. Sometimes there's more tension in your family than in any other relationship. But in an ideal world, it's people who are committed to loving each other more than they're committed to agreeing with each other. People who will never abandon or forsake you, though they've seen you at your worst and they know your weaknesses. And that's what Paul is really trying to highlight here. That, this, that the church should be a family, that they're in it together, whatever the cost, whatever the conflict, whatever the circumstances. So it's easy to say, go and be family. It sounds like a great thing to do. It sounds like a wonderful thing to aim for. But how do we actually do it in a world where there's lots of different opinions and lots of tension around politics and lots of tension around beliefs? How do we actually function as a family? So even though it's a short passage, Paul offers two directives to Timothy for the church at Ephesus. And then we can apply those to ourselves as well. So Paul tells Timothy, you're responsible to others to say what you see. To to encourage gently but honestly. To speak truth to each other. And Timothy's responsible for himself. He's responsible to live in all purity. uh, And not exploit anyone for his own desire or his own gain. And so what applies to Timothy in this context applies to us. We are responsible to say what we see in each other. Gently, lovingly, but honestly. And we're responsible for ourselves to live with all purity in all our relationships and not exploit anyone else for our own gain or our own desire. Because remember that in the, the main verb of the sentence is encourage. And in this context, it doesn't mean say kind things. It means say honest things kindly. And that can be a big difference. At least for me, I know I often default to saying the kind thing when what really needs to be said is the honest thing kindly. And if we're a family, we have to be honest with each other, especially about the hard things, especially about when we're hurt, when we're feeling uncomfortable, especially if we see a stumbling block that someone keeps tripping over again and again and again um, and that they just can't see. So John Ortberg, a pastor in uh, California, we've been watching him, we've been doing his uh, video Bible studies in GCF. He talks about you need people in your life that tell you the last 10% of who you are. So most people will tell you the 90%, the good stuff, the stuff that you're great at, the stuff that you excel at. But you need some people who will tell you that last 10%, the sticky parts that people don't want to say. And ideally, that's your church community. And as part of a church family, we say what we see not to criticize people, not to tear them down, but to help them to grow. 
because we want them to fully achieve and be all that God has for them. So we we say what we see by offering observations and not making judgments. Um, We make observations about external, observable behaviors and not judgments about motives. So just if you see someone in your church family going through a tough season and they're lashing out, kind of angry about little things, angry about minor incidents, you don't want to say, my God, you're being a jerk. Just stop it. Get it together. Uh, You're being a jerk is a judgment. That would be, I'm assuming that this other person is intentionally wanting to hurt people. They're wanting to be cruel and, um, and unkind. But instead, I can just make an observation. If someone is just being sharp and um, angry all the time, I can say, you know what? I noticed you got really angry when, um, when Charlotte was late to pick you up. I noticed you got really angry when Charlotte cried through the whole service. <laughs> is something going? And you can follow up with a question. Is something going on? Can I pray for you? Is there any way I can help you? Is there something that you need? So you're saying what you see, what everybody sees, that they're short-tempered, that they're stressed out, that something seems to be wrong. Um, But you're not making judgments about what's happening, what they're doing, how they're acting. You can also make judgments about, you can also make observations, not judgments, about yourself. You can say, you know what, when you started yelling at at this friend, when you started yelling at Charlotte, I felt really uncomfortable. It really upset me. Um... And I often hesitate to that, to do that, because I think people are going to say, so what? Your point is, and I care because. But you know what? If they do, that's their problem. That reveals something in their heart that they're struggling with. All I am responsible to do is to say what I see, and I'm not responsible for people's response. I have to be honest about my experience and how I'm feeling, and then what they do with that is up to them. So we're responsible to say what we see, And we're also responsible to live in purity and not to exploit anyone else for our own desire or gain. So Paul is talking specifically to Timothy about sexual purity because Timothy is probably single and younger and ministering to a church that has a large percentage of women. Um, And as is still true now, women in the ancient world were very vulnerable to the sexual abuses of men who exploited them for their own desire and gain. Um, and so Timothy could be very could be subject to criticism for taking advantage of women for um, for not living in purity. And Paul says, "Be above reproach. Exploit no one." Paul tells him to interact with younger women like sisters in all purity, to encourage women honorably and respectfully, without flirting, without flattering, without objectifying, without taking advantage of them sexually. Love them as you love your sister, wanting the best for them. And using that, not using them to fulfill your own desires, not getting something out of them, but encouraging them to be their best selves. And living in purity doesn't just apply to sexual relationships. I think that's where our mind generally goes to when we think of purity. But any time we are tempted, we are tempting to um, exploit someone, to use them for our own personal gain or satisfaction, to fulfill our own desires, but not in their best interest. We're taking advantage of them. We're not living in purity. We're violating what Paul is saying here. We're not loving them like a sister, like a brother, like a father, like a mother. Exploiting people, making choices that intentionally take advantage of another person so that we can get our needs met and benefiting from other people's suffering is one of the surest ways I've ever seen to devastate a person um, and destroy a church community. 
So people often don't come back from that kind of abuse and that kind of, um, and we and never want that to happen in a family. So within healthy community, we're responsible for ourselves and responsible to live in all purity. Um, and we're responsible to say what we see in our community, to be lovingly honest, kindly honest about what we see going on. Because church is a family and we're in it together. We're committed to working through conflict and disagreement and encouraging each other to pursue God. And so, so church is a family is a powerful metaphor, but at least for me, it's always been a confusing metaphor. Um, because what if you have a complicated relationship with your family? What if it's not a great dynamic? What if there's a lot of tension or anger, there's secrecy? Um, if there's secrecy and tension and anger in your own family, why would you want to be part of a church family that's the same way? The, the metaphor doesn't work. If you don't feel like you're, you can be yourself, that you're loved, that you're respected, that you're listened to, why would you want to be part of another relationship like that and committed to another relationship like that? So Paul lays out this ideal of the family, but there's often a gap between the ideal of the family and sometimes our own experiences of family. And that's where God's inviting to bring healing into our, into our mind, into our heart, into our families. So I thought this was interesting. I was reading a Pew Forum study. They do research on um, Christianity in the United States, religion in the United States, not just Christianity. And they said 71% of millennials believe in God with absolute or fair certainty, which is a pretty high number. 71%, three-quarters of the population of millennials, um, but only 28% regularly or consistently attend church services. So you have three-quarters of millennials believe in God, mostly, um, and only a quarter will regularly attend church. And there's probably lots of reasons for that. There's People are busy. There's... There's, there's lots of reasons, but I would argue that one of, them, one of the significant reasons is need for healing in the image of the church. That people have this idea of what church is that's rooted in abuse, that's rooted in pain, that's rooted in trauma, that's rooted in suffering, and doesn't actually reflect what the church is supposed to be. They have negative associations, negative experiences, with the church and negative experiences with their family. And the idea of church is, can just be triggering. I don't want any part of that. So if, as you think of your own family, you might think, was my family respectful? Was my family encouraging? Was my family honest about the stuff that was going on? And if not, it might be hard to engage in a community, a church community, if you think it's going to be just more of that. And so it's not a surprise to me that people hesitate to be part of church as a family because to be committed come hell or high water to a group of critical, secretive, hurtful people is sometimes not something you're super excited to do. But as we can see in Paul, that's not what God intended church to be. It's not what God intended our families to be, and it's not what he intended church to be. It's meant to be a place where we are lovingly honest with people and treat everyone with purity never exploiting or using any of anyone for our own gain. We're, in our families, we are accepted just as we are, but we're not left to stay as we are. We're invited into a community that wants the best for us and encourages us to grow in the people that God wanted us to be. But to get to that idea of family, we might need healing in our image of the church. We need to be honest with ourselves about dynamics in our family that were broken. 
that were hurtful, um, that don't embody this image of the church, of family. And we can ask God to forgive us for judging the church, for being just like our family. And invite God to heal those broken dynamics in our family and give us a new understanding of church. So as Vince and I were talking about this passage this week and thinking about this message, we both kind of discovered we, we struggle with the metaphor of church's family, but for kind of different reasons. Um, Vince comes from a family where there are a lot of topics that you don't talk about. There's just, there's truths that you don't acknowledge. There's th- just things that you don't say. It's just an accepted kind of family agreement. We don't talk about this stuff. Uh, and so, Jasmine's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> And when he tries to speak up, when he tries to say what he sees, he's kind of labeled as the troublemaker. They want to silence him. They want to keep it quiet. They want to keep the family dynamic functioning as it is. So the idea of being part of a church family like that um, is not appealing. It drives him crazy in his own words. And for me, I struggle with the idea of family because I was a single person for all of my 20s and into my 30s, and the idea of family to me felt like another opportunity to, to like judge me and shame me. Like I'm a single person, I don't have children, I'm not married, I live far from my parents and my siblings, so I don't have a family. I'm just on my own. So here's another example of where I'm not enough, where I'm not, I'm not meeting the bar, where people are disappointed that like I, I can't meet the bar of family. And it felt kind of alienating and exclusionary, as if this kind of nuclear family is the end all and be all, and I don't really have one. My family's wonderful, but they they live far away, so I'm kind of on my own. So I needed some healing in my idea of the church and my idea of family. That it doesn't family doesn't have to be husband wife, 2.5 perfect pigtailed children, um, and just like the white picket fence. That God is not rejecting single people from the family of God. Single people are a central, integral part of the family of God. Timothy was single. Paul was single. Jesus was single. And they're, they're arguably three of the most important people in the history of the family of God. Um, so church as family, it's, important, it's been important for me to recognize that church as family doesn't mean little picket white fence family. Um, it doesn't exclude any of us. All are welcome in the family of God. And so maybe if you're like Vince and you're like me, the idea of church and fam- the idea of church as a family, there's some like there's some com- complexities there. You're not sure what you think about it. You're not sure how you feel about it. If your family wasn't an environment of respect and encouragement and honesty, you might feel like eh, I don't know about this. Um, but instead of just avoiding the idea, instead of kind of trying to avoid the idea that. A church is like a family, that there's commitment, that there's safety, um, that there's deep community. We want to seek healing. We want to seek healing for idea of family. We want to seek healing for our relationships in the church. So we're going to give you just a little bit of time. We've given you some questions to think about. Um, what, If you think about the idea of church's family, what attracts you to the idea? What about the idea of church's family, the idea of people committed to each other, people committed to each other regardless of circumstances? What aspect of that appeals to you? And then conversely, what aspect of that kind of repels you? Do you have a response like Vince and me where you're like, eh, I don't know, something about this doesn't feel good? And if so, take a minute and think about, where, is there places where you need some healing? Where God needs to heal your earthly family, 
and where God wants to heal your, your church family and your image of the church. So I'll pray for us for a second, and then we'll just have some time for reflection to think about what it means for us as church's family. Uh, and then we can share maybe what, what we like about the imagery, what doesn't quite fit for us about the imagery. So, Father, we do believe that it is your best plan for us to be a family. That family is a good and a holy thing. That you created fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers to show your love to us in the world. So, Father, help us to understand how we should function as a family. What that means for each of us, what that means that has to change in each of us, and what opportunities that opens up for us that we maybe haven't imagined yet. So, Father, speak to us through your word. Show us how to be a family.